What happens to your investments held at a broker if that broker fails, collapses, goes bankrupt, etc.? Let's talk about it in this, the 68th episode of the Retirement Planning Education Podcast. Welcome to the Retirement Planning Education Podcast, where you can learn all about IRAs and Roth IRAs, employer retirement plans, taxes, social security, Medicare, portfolio withdrawal strategies, annuities, estate planning, and much more. And now here's your host, Andy Panko. Hello, everybody. How y'all doing? I'm all right. Thanks for asking. Here we are, 68th episode of Retirement Planning Education Podcast. Last week's episode was a topical one. It was about bank failures. What happens if your bank fails? What happens to your money? What happens to the bank? Are we safe going forward? Should we uh, be concerned about the banking system or banks, you know, any particular bank? That was last week. Go back, check that out if you haven't already. And that then got me thinking, uh, separate from banks, you know, banks are places where you hold cash and that cash may be in the form of checking accounts, savings accounts, uh, certificates of deposits, otherwise known as CDs. How about investable assets? You have stocks, bonds, mutual funds, exchange traded funds. They all need to get held somewhere at a broker, you know, or, or a custodian or, or whatever you choose to call them. Like a Vanguard, a Fidelity, a Schwab, a TD Ameritrade, an E-Trade, a uh, M1 Finance, a, there's a whole bunch, SEI, Pershing, I don't know, the list goes on. Um, what happens if one of those brokers were to fail whether it's because of bankruptcy or outright fraud or, uh, you know, just becomes really strained and, and people get concerned about it. What would happen? Well, we're going to talk about it in this this episode. Uh, long and short of it is it's a very, very different scenario. And the securities world what, where brokers hold investments for clients is a very different structure and a safer structure, I'll say, than uh, than, than banks, than the banking system, for, for better or worse. But before we get into it, shout out to my friends at Boomer, my, my buddies at Boomer Benefits, my alliteration, buddies at Boomer Benefits, buddies, who, who uh, that just reminded me, buddies at Boomer Benefits, sounds like um, that Hanna-Barbera cartoon, I don't know who it was, there's like a, I'm picturing a dog, uh, he had a hat, he always, no, maybe he didn't have a hat, maybe it was like the, the one with the long ears, always, bleh, 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 bleh. he was always like, you know, uh, with the big jowls, was that Huckleberry Hound or someone, anyway. But yeah, my my but I don't know where I'm going with this. My buddies at Boomer Benefits. So I, I'm a Facebook guy, as you all know. I have a Facebook group now called Retirement Planning Education. It used to be called Taxes and Retirement. There's a really lot of a lot of really really good stuff in Facebook groups if if you know where to where to look and, and the good ones to find. But anyway, anyone looking for Medicare related information, check out Medicare Q and A with Boomer Benefits. Um, I've, I've gone there a lot myself in, in the last handful of years. I've gotten good information. I tag them whenever, uh, Medicare questions come up in my group and vice versa. Anytime there's like a sort of tax planning, more financial planning thing. That's not just Medicare focused. They, they often tag, tag me and tag my group retirement planning education. So i um, grateful for them, but, uh, ch check that out. I will have a link to it in the notes to this video, any sort of Medicare questions you have, check them out. They, they are a Medicare agency based out of Dallas Fort Worth. And this Facebook group, what's, what's cool about it, they have employees whose job it is to run and administer this group. Whereas me and, and my other sort of rag bag, rag, rag tag band of vagabond or whatever, the handful of moderators for retirement planning education, we would just kind of do it uh, because, you know, for boomer benefits, they, they, they legit run this thing like a, like a well-oiled, um, operation with people whose literal job it is to monitor the group, answer questions and keep out riffraff. So great place to go for Medicare info, uh, Medicare Q and A with Boomer benefits. Check it. 
All right, uh, brokers, brokers failing. What's the deal with that? So um, you may be thinking, maybe you're not, but Lehman Brothers was the last big broker failure to come to mind. And there was a lot of noise around there. I think the bankruptcy estate's still working itself out, but there were some clients who, uh, I don't wanna say, I don't know if they lost assets, but had assets like indefinitely held up. That's not you and I, that's hedge funds, private equity funds, big institutional investors that, uh, not to get too off track, but they ultimately didn't have their assets held at the US broker entity of Lehman Brothers. They thought they did, but behind the scenes, Lehman was transferring assets from the US entity to a European entity. Now, customers signed an agreement that said that. They didn't know it. They had this long document, they signed it and said that, that you know they were doing that. It was, it was what's called prime brokerage, uh, which is what I worked in for a few years, where they gave Lehman, the US entity, permission to move their assets off to the European entity. Uh, and there were some economic incentives for the clients to do that, which is why. But anyway, that European entity, that wasn't covered by US securities regulations, which are quite, quite strict and quite in favor of the client and the investor. So for you all listening, um, you know, retail investors, you open an account at Fidelity, Schwab, Vanguard, TD, E-Trade, wherever, you don't have to worry about that unless you consciously opt into some, um, you know, fancy margin platform where, we, where you can borrow uh, money through what's called an arranged finance or offshore margin platform, which I, I'm, I'm, I can't say I guarantee, but chances are most of you aren't doing that. So that, that doesn't really apply. Your assets, when you put them in a U.S. broker, stay in a U.S. entity broker uh, um, uh, business and and you're protected by what we're going to mention here today. So so first, let me just go back briefly and talk about banks, um, just to recap the bank structure. And you can see fundamentally how brokerages are very, very different and much more uh, ring fenced and secure from my perspective, or well, well, from anyone's perspective, actually. But a bank, like we said last week, when you deposit money in a bank, you're technically giving your money to the bank. It is then their money which in theory they can do with as they please. Now the uh, arrangement, you know, the, the rules of engagement for banks and the reason why people use banks to keep cash and checking account savings account is, is that it's an on-demand deposit. You can go there and get your money back anytime. In theory, you can walk in today, get all your money back. And I'm not talking about physical bills. Like if, if you have half a million dollars in, in, you know, in your bank and you go to your local branch and try to take out half a million dollars in cash, they're probably not going to have it. You know, I think physical branches have limits on how much physical cash they hold. They'll ultimately get it for you, but you may have to call ahead, give them a few days to arrange, you know, a truck full of bags full of bills to show up. Uh, but, but I'm not talking about like physical cash. I'm talking about like, in general, you got a million dollars at your bank. Um, in theory, you can show up any day and get that million dollars, you know, again, not physical, but like transferred out to you to somewhere else. If every single client of a bank who has deposits with them all went in on the same day and took out all their money, the bank can't do it. The bank literally doesn't have that money, not even physical form, but electronic form. They don't have it because they took it. It's their money. Once you deposit it with them, they took it to make loans, to buy investments, to do whatever they do with, uh, you know, for, for their own asset management purposes. So think, think about it like this. Um, now there's the FDIC insurance, like I said last week, uh, it, it could be a real uncomfortable scenario and, and thing to think about. Like when you get, when you make a deposit to a bank, you're giving your money to the bank. You only have an IOU from them that if, and when you come calling for it, they'll give it back if they're willing and able. So where the, where the, the government steps in with the FDIC insurance, it says, okay, generally up to $250,000 per person. There, there's more to it than that, as I mentioned last week, but they will, the government will guarantee if the bank fails 
and is neither willing nor able to give you your money back, government steps in and is like, no, you're giving it back. Like there's an insurance fund that that helps ensure clients get their money back from banks up to you know that that generally two hundred fifty thousand dollar per person insurance limit. So think about a bank like this. Um, picture someone standing in front of you. Let's come up with the name's Jim. Jim is a bank. And you, you give $100 to Jim to hold as a deposit because Jim's a bank. You give it to Jim. Jim puts it in his pocket. Jim Jim now owns that. He, he, he legally owns that money. You have an IOU from Jim where Jim says, hey, whenever you want this money back, uh, ask me for it and I'll give it to you. And that's it. That's what a bank is. You, you, you trust. You have to rely on, on them being willing and able to actually give you that money back because it's theirs once you give it to them. Right. So I think I beat that horse enough last week. But I just want to get that across. You know, that, that's why banks are fundamentally different than brokerages. Let's not talk about brokerages. So what do you do with the brokerage? Well, brokerage is when you have investments, stocks, bonds, mutual funds, exchange traded funds, they need to be held somewhere electronically. Now, practically speaking, almost all investments, you know, traditional investments, like I just mentioned, only exist in electronic form. You know, decades ago, there used to be physical manifestations like a stock, you had a physical certificate, you know, you had a printed out hard copy certificate for every share of stock you owned, you get one or, you know, one, one piece of paper can list multiple shares. But, um, you know, you had you had physical paper that, that evidenced your ownership in that stock. Bonds were the same thing. Bonds was uh, a, 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 were a coupon book where you'd rip off a coupon every time there was an interest payment, you had a physical thing, it was called the bearer bond, he or she who had possession of that book owned that bond, it was that simple. Now, Almost all this stuff is in electronic form. There is no physical paper of it. And just like physical things need to be held somewhere, electronic things need to be held somewhere in electronic accounts. Now, they're held in what's called street name, meaning you have to have some intermediary to open an electric account, this electric bucket, to hold inside of it your electronic securities. And it's, it has to be a uh, you know regulated registered broker um, in, in the US to open that account for you to hold your stocks, your bonds, your mutual funds, your exchange traded funds. Now, when, when you have investments and you have a broker, it's different. The investments you hold with them, they are not theirs. Unlike a bank, again, you deposit money with a bank, that money is now the bank's money. It's not yours. You just have a claim on it to, to go ask for it. When a broker holds your securities in an investment account, whether it's a normal brokerage account, or like a retirement account, like an IRA or Roth IRA, it is not their money. Yes, they hold it for you, but they just hold it as a third party custodian. It's not actually theirs. It's separate and distinct from them. So go back now to the example of a person, you know, Jim standing in front of you. Uh, Jim now is no longer a bank. Jim is a broker. You give Jim a stock. Now let's assume that we were, this was back in the day when you know stocks were paper certificates. You, you have to hold that stock somewhere. You give it to Jim, the broker, to hold for you. Jim doesn't put it in his pocket like he did if he was a bank because the stock you give him is not his stock. It's still your stock. Jim is holding a box. That box is your account at the broker. Jim puts that stock into the box. Jim is holding the box, but it's not his box. It's your box. He's just the one tasked with holding it. You can get your stock out any given time. It's not Jim's. Jim doesn't control. You know, Jim can't say, nope, I don't want to give it to you. You can't have it. It's yours. It's your box to do with as you please. Jim is just the one, the third party tasked with holding that box. So now, unlike in the case of a bank, where if a bank gets into financial trouble because it mismanages its assets and it doesn't have any money to, to give people, 
that's when banks fail. That's when the government needs to step in so depositors can get their money back. With a broker, with with Jim, um, so, so let's go back to this. I don't know why it just came to mind, but let's go back to the bank example where Jim is a bank. If Jim were to get really sick or, or Jim does something horrendously stupid with his own money, that includes now your money because the money you gave him to deposit was was his money, you know, Jim acting as a bank. If Jim dies, if Jim disappears, if Jim skips out of town, you don't get your money, you know, your money's gone with Jim, right? That, that's not cool. That's where the FDIC insurance comes in to step in and make you whole. Separate, separate story with the bank. Uh, I'm sorry, with the broker. Again, your assets aren't held in Jim's pocket. Your assets are held in this box. Jim is just a third party holding the box. If Jim were to die, if Jim were to get sick, if Jim were to do something financially stupid with his own asset, you know, his own money and uh, disappears, your box is still there. You know, if Jim dies, Jim falls down, your box is still standing. That's still yours. And the stuff in your box is still there. It's still okay. Uh, Jim decides he doesn't want to do his business anymore. And Jim wants to walk away. Your box is still there. You know, another broker will step in in Jim's place to now be the third party to hold that box for you. But your box and what's in it is still yours. It still exists. It didn't go anywhere. Um, so, so that's that's the fundamental difference. Now, in the case of pure absolute fraud, sure, that 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 that's still a risk. So, what if Jim never existed in the first place, or you know, Jim said he had a box but didn't, and you put your stuff into what you thought was a real box, and Jim's like, "Haha, jokes on you. There was no account ever," and he takes your stuff and run. That is a risk. This is where something called SIPC insurance or SIPIC stands for Securities Investor Protection Corp. This is now sort of synonymous to FDIC coverage for banks. SIPIC coverage applies to, to brokers in the US. In the case of missing securities where, you know, Jim dies, Jim skips out of town, your box is still there, you think, you look in it and say, oh, wait a second, where's my securities? Jim has been sending me fake statements every month saying that this box held securities but there's nothing in there, right? Jim lied, Jim fabricated these statements. That's where SIPIC comes in and will make you whole. Now, SIPIC won't cover everything. At the moment, there's only half a million dollars of insured coverage. Half of that or 250 grand of that could be cash held within a brokerage account. But otherwise you have half a million dollars of uh, in effect fraud or missing security coverage from SIPIC. Beyond that, it is potentially at risk. So could there be an outright fraud scenario where your broker skips out of town or come to find out it's just a house of cards in the first place and your securities aren't really there because Jim did take them out and do something with it he wasn't supposed to do. Yes, that's possible. How do you help prevent that? Well, I mean, I guess to be blunt, there's never a 100% foolproof way, but generally speaking, sticking to the large, well-known, been around for you know generations, uh, uh, brokers, household names like, and this isn't a recommendation for any one of these, Vanguard, Fidelity, TD, Schwab, E-Trade, um, and you know those are top 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 of mind ones for retail investors. And there's there's a bunch other beyond that. But if if those are fraud, I, man, I don't know. I mean, not to say it can't happen. Anything can happen. But that that would be a real bad scenario. These things are uh, some of them are publicly traded. They have independent auditors. Uh, again, been around forever. It, it will be hard to pull off a fraud at, at that scale. Not to say it can't happen again, but you know, I think the chances of it are, are quite low versus if you go to some chop shop fly-by-night broker that uh, you know it's like Uncle Gino's 24-hour brokerage and he's also selling, I don't know, you know, bail bonds and fried plantains out of the back door, 
you should stay away from that, right? There, there's a much higher chance that that's end up going to be a sham of an operation, and you do potentially lose your securities because you know Uncle Gino was uh, was a complete fraud and, and skipped town with your stuff. So so avoid Uncle Gino's broker. Sorry, you know it'd be funny if there actually is an Uncle Gino's brokerage out there that does sell bail bonds and fried pan, fried plantains, but probably not. Um, if there is, I, I can almost guarantee he's not acting within the bounds of regulations and laws because any broker does need to be duly registered with securities regulators. Chances are Uncle Gino's 24-hour chop shop brokerage isn't. But So um, anyway, why, why bring this up now? I mean, I thought it was a logical extension. Last week, I talked about banks. This week, I talked about brokerages. And all of you listening, or most of you listening, probably have investments. If you don't now, you will at some point, especially retirees, you know, a decent chunk of your um of your net worth is probably in investments, whether it's like, you know, 401k or a brokerage account or IRA. So you're rightfully probably asking what happens if my broker goes under? Do I have to worry? Like if one of my bank goes under type scenario and, and no, I, I don't, I don't feel you do, especially again, if it's one of the large major household name brokerages where the chance of them being pure fraud is, uh, is quite low, you know, much lower than uncle Gino's chop shop brokerage that sells plantains and bail bonds as well. Um, but hypothetically, what if? So, what if Schwab were to were to go insolvent or bankrupt for for whatever reason? Not fraud, just like you know, really mismanage its assets and liabilities, and boom, um, you'd still be okay. So, if Schwab, the company, goes bust, remember your your brokerage account at Schwab, not just brokerage, but IRA, whatever, at Schwab is separate and distinct. Your assets weren't ever commingled in Schwab's pockets for them to, you know, misappropriate or, or do something with they weren't supposed to do. Your assets sit in that box in that account. Whatever you're invested in, it's still there. Schwab goes down for whatever reason. Well, what, what almost uh, is is almost certain to happen. The government will will orchestrate and oversee as smooth as possible a transition of your brokerage accounts to some other broker, be it Fidelity, be it Vanguard, be it E-Trade, be it, uh, you know, TD, well, TD Ameritrade is part of Schwab now, um, be, be it whoever. So your, your bucket, your, your account that owns your stocks, your bonds, your mutual funds will live on. It'll just, you know, going forward, it'll be held by some other third party, not the failed Schwab. Now, why am I saying Schwab? Well, when the, um, uh, you know, all, all the, the news and rumors started a week or two ago when silicon valley bank went under in you know glorious uh, overnight fashion there were some rumblings and some speculation that well about a lot a lot, lot of firms not not just anyone in particular but schwab's name was brought up and the only reason why not the only reason but the, the main reason why was because silicon valley as i mentioned last week a big part of their problem was a lot of their assets were in long dated government treasury bonds that dropped a lot in value so that when there was a run on the assets on the uh, i'm sorry on the on the deposits at silicon valley bank and silicon valley had to sell uh you know they didn't have a lot of cash in hand they had to sell these bonds they sold them at pretty steep discounts steep losses compared to where they bought them because uh you know because the prices dropped a lot so the industry started looking at all the other financial institutions out there and be like hey who else has uh sizable amounts of uh long-term securities on on their balance sheet one of which was Schwab. Now, very different scenario in that it didn't have nearly as much um, long-dated securities relative to its deposits as Silicon Valley Bank did. Also, as I mentioned last week, Silicon Valley Bank's depositors were mostly very wealthy people with a lot of money there, well in excess of FDIC limits. Like I said last week, I think it was 94% of Silicon Valley Bank's deposits were beyond FDIC insurance limits. 
I don't know what that figure is for Schwab Bank, but I'm certain it's substantially lower. So there's less inherent fear to start with of, you know, people being overexposed to Schwab Bank because, uh, you know, their, their money is beyond FTIC limits. Plus, Schwab has a much more diversified business. It's not focused on just uh, hedge funds, private equity funds, venture capital firms like Silicon Valley Bank was. It's a, it's a much more broader, bigger, more diversified asset base, uh, depositor base. Um, and, and also important to know, Schwab uh, is a broker and separately a bank. So, uh, you know, Schwab has Schwab Bank NA, I think is the name of it. And Schwab has this broker. I forget the full name, but it's like Schwab Broker Inc. or whatever it's called. Those are separate and distinct entities. Now, they're ultimately owned by Schwab, the big parent, but they're separate and distinct operations. Those who happen to have a bank account, like a checking account at Schwab Bank, the, the risks and the FDIC limits and whatever fall under my talk last week. That is the banking side of Schwab. If Schwab were to go under for whatever reason, yes. If you have deposits at Schwab, you are now subject to being covered by FDIC limits to the extent you have deposits at Schwab beyond that. Those deposits would be potentially be at risk. But like I said last week, the Fed kind of made it clear they're, they're backstopping above and beyond, especially for big names like, like a Schwab. I, 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 you know, I would assume the Fed would step in there. But that aside... Schwab, the broker, is is what you know the focus of, of this uh, talk is. Brokerage accounts going down. If Schwab, the broker, went under, your your assets there would be okay. Again, they'd they'd be staying in that box. You own that box, and what's in it? Schwab falls away as the box holder. Someone else would step in and hold the box on on, on your behalf. So your assets should be safe again, barring like a pure fraud where where Schwab ends up being a sham that never really existed in the first place, or you know your assets never existed, even though they said they did. But that that's you know if that were to happen, then. The world's got much bigger problems. Um, what else? So, so even though the assets themselves won't disappear, or you know, won't get tangled up in in the broker, um, you know, defaulting or having financial troubles or becoming insolvent, that doesn't mean the value of the assets can't and, and potentially won't decline. That's a separate thing. So let's assume, uh, again, especially if Schwab did go under, there's probably bigger stuff going on in the world such that it's going to spill over and you know probably impact the stock market as a whole and stock prices will fall. So for example, if in your Schwab account, you own a bunch of stocks or a bunch of mutual funds or exchange traded funds that, that uh, hold a bunch of stocks, those can still go down in value, right? You're not going to lose your shares because Schwab goes under, but the value of what's in that Schwab account Will very likely drop if Schwab goes under because if Schwab goes under, it means there's something really gnarly going on in the world that's going to you know adversely impact uh, most people's traditional investments like like you know stocks at least. Uh, what else? Uh, important to note: um, Schwab when 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 uh, there there was you know public rumor that you know Schwab does have some stuff going on. Schwab was real quick to to dispel. And and uh, you know uh, make media appearances, and I'll share links to that. There's a YouTube, there's a video there. The uh, CEO of Schwab was on CNBC, the, I think the day after, and gave a good 20 minute interview explaining basically everything I said now, but in much more detail, much more uh, eloquently about their position and why they're different than you know what what the you know the scared masses and the uh, social media um, armchair quarterbacks, you know, cl claim to have said about Schwab, you know, why they're different. There's also a, a little one page summary that uh, Charles Schwab himself, the founder put out and I'll share a link to that. So point is, I I'm not personally worried about Schwab. I don't think you need to be either. Worst case, Schwab does go under your brokerage accounts held at Schwab 
are not at risk. Uh, if you if you are a Schwab banking client, um, you know banking assets like any bank are insured up to two hundred fifty thousand dollars per person. So th there's that as well. But you know, for from where we sit now and, and what we see now, I, I it, there's no reason to think Schwab's at any sort of imminent risk of uh, um you know, any sort of meaningful uh, financial danger or, or going under, you know, what have you. So very fundamentally different. There's also another great video, Rob Berger, for those of you who haven't heard of him, has a great YouTube channel. He's a he's a Vanguardian. He's one of the Boglehead guys, I think. He has a lot of good stuff out, personal finance stuff. He did a video a handful of days ago specifically about uh, what happens if Schwab or Fidelity or Vanguard go under. Um, so check that out. There's a link to that. It's, it's a good compliment to what I said here. He has some nice screen shares and and things that really help drive the point home that, yeah, that there, there shouldn't be any reason for concern uh, amongst people with, uh, you know, with these major brokerage firms. One other thing that Rob mentioned, I wasn't going to touch on, but until I watched Rob video, Rob's video the other day, what happens if you have a mutual fund managed by Schwab, for example, you know, then what? So like the Schwab, uh, I don't know, dividend fund or something or Schwab dividend ETF exchange traded fund. What happens if Schwab goes under? Well, the assets held within the fund, they're managed by Schwab, but it's not, again, they're, they're not assets owned by Schwab. They're not on Schwab's balance sheet. Schwab can't take them, barring fraud, Schwab can't take them and do stuff with them and lose them. They're held at a third party custodian. In the case of Schwab, I believe it's State Street you know, State Street Bank, which is, which is a big custodial bank based out of uh, uh, Boston, I think it is. So that, that's different. If Schwab, the company goes under, your assets are still within the fund held at State Street. They, they don't disappear. Now, there need to be a new manager to replace Schwab to be the people who, uh, you know, pick and choose what, what stocks or bonds or whatever get sold and purchased within the fund. But the fund itself and the assets of the fund still reside. It's this independent box concept like I talked about before. The box is yours. What's in it is yours. The person managing the box or holding the box is an outside third party. If they die, disappear, go away, you can simply swap them out with someone new. Your box is still there. Now, again, the value of the stuff within that box could decline for whatever host of reasons. You don't have to worry about losing that stuff or those assets disappearing uh, out of the box. Capiche, makes sense? All right, uh, that's all I wanna to touch on today. I completely riffed on this one. I didn't have any notes for this, you can probably tell. Uh, this is just me sitting here. It's also kind of shorter than normal, I think. So um, hope you enjoyed this, hope you found this helpful. Check out the links in the video, especially Rob's video linked in the uh, notes to this podcast. I think you'll find it very helpful and provides a lot of clarity around what happens if a broker or a mutual fund manager goes under. Uh, I think we get a lot of comfort from uh, watching that and in, in addition to what I said here today. And as always, if you like this podcast, it would be super cool of you if you would take a moment to leave a review, a thumbs up, a five star, or 10 star, however many stars you can give, a like, whatever, on uh, whatever podcast listening platform you use to, uh, to digest this podcast. And check out my other stuff, retirementplanningeducation.com. You can find not only uh, you know the episodes of this podcast, but also direct feed of my YouTube channel by the same name and the Facebook group. If you're not there, get there. Retirement Planning Education, a lot of good stuff going on there. And a whole uh, uh, basket of freely downloadable goodies, cheat sheets, references, flow charts, uh, checklist, et cetera. I think you'll, uh, you'll dig that, retirementplanningeducation.com. And scene. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening as always. I will see you next time. 
The information discussed in this podcast is only general explanations and education. It is not specific tax, legal, or investment advice. Before considering acting on anything you heard here, first consult with your tax, legal, or investment advisor. Thank you. Thank you.